everyone. My name is Ari and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. Today, I am so excited for us to continue on to part two of the Joan of Arc series. This is where Joan's badass military career really began and took off with so many huge victories and accolades won along the way. So we will indeed be recounting her time at the Battle of Orléans, but also there were a few other notable battles that Joan participated in that are not often mentioned. So let's get right into it. In the previous episode, we detailed how Joan began her famous journey to Orléans, claiming that she'd been receiving celestial guidance from saints that told Joan that she would be the one to restore the rightful king of France. Joan was sent out to fight, boots on the ground, with her soldiers and brothers by her side. As I said in the beginning, Joan's most acclaimed battle is the Battle of Orléans. What isn't very well known is that Joan fought several other important and paramount battles as well. Joan was officially dispatched by the Dauphine to march on Orléans on April 27, 1429. The city had been besieged since October 1428, so the villagers had been restricted for quite some time. During the siege, the English had established several strongholds that had completely surrounded the city. After arriving and assessing the situation, Joan tried to enter the city with supplies and aid for the residents that were trapped inside. Due to the obvious imminent danger of an attack and the presence of the English strongholds, Joan was told that she must wait for further reinforcements before going forward. This was not Joan's style. (laughs) On the evening of May 4th, 1429, after several days of waiting, Joan was fed up and abruptly declared, I must go and attack the English. Joan grabbed her arms and pressed on to an English stronghold in the east, where a battle was already in progress. When Joan arrived, the troops were barely holding on. But it is said that Joan's presence was described by soldiers to be so powerful that it provided them the extra energy that they needed to win the battle as well as the fort. After this win, Joan had yet another letter of defiance dictated to the English. (laughs) It was amazing that she was so confident in herself and her direction that she was taunting her opposition along the way. Joan's first victory carried momentum for the troops to advance on another stronghold surrounding Orléans just a day later. Upon learning of Joan's approach, the English troops abandoned the fort to defend another position nearby. Joan pursued, attacked, and took the stronghold by force. Joan's grit, her determination, her drive was incredible. There was no obstruction that would stop Joan from reaching her objectives. After this second victory, Joan then went on to attack her third stronghold. She was working her way around the English defenses, picking them off one by one. 
The fight was brutal, and although Joan was wounded, she returned and resumed her role in the assault. Joan's return to the attack after being wounded was credited with again giving the troops the motivation to maintain the pressure on the English. The English troops finally relented and were seen retreating a day after the battle began. Although Joan was aware of their retreat, she did not pursue. Her reasoning? It was Sunday. Although Joan was a warrior, she always maintained her core convictions, her belief in her religion. One can respect this dedication to her faith above all else. After France's victories against the English strongholds surrounding Orléans, the siege was lifted. The siege was over four days after Joan's first attack. When Joan was initially petitioning the Dauphin to fight on his behalf and was being interrogated by the Dauphin's allies, Joan had asserted confidently that she would prove herself at Orléans. After Joan's victories at Orléans, her credibility with prominent clergymen as well as the public was reinforced. I mean, the girl was a hero. That fact could not be denied by the people of France. Against all odds and assumptions by others, Joan's predictions were proven to have come true. Ironically, on the opposing side, the English forces regarded Joan as an agent of the devil. The thought that Joan was being helped in any way by heavenly forces was inconceivable. Joan left Orléans and met the Dauphin at Tours, where he was waiting for her. Joan urged the Dauphin to go to Rams to be crowned as the king. Although the Dauphin was anxious to receive his crown, his advisors were telling the Dauphin to look to continue on towards a conquest of Normandy instead. The Dauphin was torn, but the final decision was to first clear the English from the towns along the Loire River. In this mission, Joan was reconnected with an earlier ally, a lieutenant general of the French army. This particular lieutenant general credited Joan with saving his life during the Battle of Orléans. This was another instance of Joan's amazing paranormal abilities. The lieutenant general claimed that Joan had warned him about imminent cannon fire, cannon fire that was aimed at the walls directly behind him. This cannon fire was on the other side of the wall, essentially invisible to him from his perspective. If Joan had not warned him about the incoming cannon fire, the lieutenant general surely would have perished under the collapsing wall. Together, the lieutenant general and Joan worked their way down the river and took back several important towns along the way. The French and English again came face to face in battle at Patay on June 18, 1429. Yet another important conflict for Joan along her long list of conquests. Joan informed the Dauphin that the victory at Patay would win a greater victory that day than any he had won so far. Joan had a knowing of the outcomes and impacts of her actions far beyond what was readily apparent. During this campaign, the English army was oosted and almost completely decimated. This crusade was groundbreaking as it ended the English army's ruthless reputation for invincibility. 
Joan had conquered a force that was thought to be unstoppable. This was the nature of Joan's power, to overcome and conquer the impossible. After another paramount victory, Joan again approached Dauphine and strongly encouraged him to swiftly go to Rams for his coronation. The Dauphine continued to hesitate, due in large parts to warnings by his advisors. It should be noted that his advisors likely had legit safety concerns for the Dauphine at this point, considering all the recent military action that had been taken against the English. But again, due to Joan's persistent and persuasive nature, she was able to convince the Dauphine to move forward with the coronation. The Dauphine sent out letters of summons for his coronation, essentially his official announcement of the long-awaited ceremony to the public. Joan also dictated two letters of her own before setting out on their journey. One letter was to a group of loyalists, and another was a challenge to the Duke of Burgundy. Joan and the Dauphine set out on the official march to the coronation on June 29, 1429. I wanted to highlight that this is just 10 days after her milestone victory against the English. Joan's march to the coronation with the Dauphine was yet another landmark journey in her military career. As Joan marched with the Dauphine, Several towns along the way that were pro-Burgundian preemptively surrendered at the news of her approaching arrival. There were, of course, several towns that were still doubtful of Joan and the fabled stories surrounding this agent of the devil. One of these such towns were still holding their Burgundian loyalties. Joan wrote to them and assured them that they would be pardoned if they surrendered. The town replied by sending a popular friar to assess Joan and the credibility of her claims. As with everyone along her path, people could not accept or believe that a girl such as Joan was everything that she said she was. And as with all the people who had met Joan before, against the town's and the friar's own misgivings, the friar himself became a believer in Joan. The friar returned with nothing but positive news to report to the people. But in spite of the friar's good word for Joan, the people decided to remain loyal to the Burgundians. The Dauphine's Council of Advisors convened, and it was decided that Joan would lead an attack against the town. Once the town was made aware that Joan would lead the attack, the villagers promptly surrendered. Other towns along the way followed suit in similar fashion. The troops marched on to Chalon, another town along the route. The Count Bishop of Chalon personally handed the keys of the town to the Dauphine. It should be noted that this town had made an earlier decision to resist the Dauphine's army. On July 16, 1429, the troops finally reached their final destination, and the next day, was the coronation. All of Joan's dreams, her mission, everything she had been striving for since first receiving her proclaimed divine direction had come to fruition. The Dauphine was crowned the King of France. After the ceremony, Joan knelt before the Dauphine and addressed him as her king, using his official title for the first time. 
The day of the ceremony, Joan wrote a letter to the Duke of Burgundy, urging him to make peace with France. She also made a pointed request for him to leave the royal fortress as it was no longer rightfully his. King Charles left Roms and marched on, eventually making his way to the Loire. The strategy was meant to send a message that the king would not be the one to initiate an attack on France. The towns full of loyalists were concerned about the king's approach, but Joan sent a letter to reassure the citizens that everything would be okay. Joan's letter said that the Duke of Burgundy, who was currently in power in Paris, had made a truce with France. After the truce, it was hoped that the Duke of Burgundy would surrender Paris without an ensuing battle. French and English troops clashed again when the English attempted to block the French troops from a river crossing. This skirmish was much to the delight of Joan, who had wanted the king to focus on attacking Paris. During this transition period, although the Duke of Burgundy still resided in France, Joan was declared the idol and savior of the French. Joan herself admitted that she felt that her dream had been realized. On August 28, 1429, the truce with the Burgundians had come to an end. Joan was adamant that the troops must take possession of Paris by force. On September 7th, 1429, the king arrived at Paris, an attack on the city began the next day. Again, Joan was wounded during the attack, but continued to provide moral support to the troops who were still in battle. Joan wanted the battle to continue into the next day, but King Charles ordered a retreat. Taking heed to the king's orders, Joan and her troops retreated, leaving the Duke of Burgundy in Paris. After this battle, Joan joined the king at the Loire, and the army was officially disbanded. A short while after, the same lieutenant general that Joan had saved from the cannon fire planned a campaign in Normandy in which he'd personally requested Joan's presence to lead. The lieutenant general's request was denied by the king, and Joan continued to accompany the king throughout his travels, taking towns and further establishing herself as a military powerhouse. Joan would swiftly come to the aid of towns that were threatened or attacked by the Duke of Burgundy. It should also be noted that Joan was remembered by those close to the king and villagers of the town she'd visited as having an unrelenting goodness and generosity within her soul. Although she was a fierce warrior who was noted as always being ready and willing to defend her beliefs, she was still able to retain her core of grace and morality. This was Joan's amazing journey, her ability to retain who she was above all else against all odds. This is where we'll end part two of Joan's journey, as this was a huge turning point for Joan. And Joan's next parts are, they're pretty packed and complex. So I kind of wanted to put that in just a, a separate episode so you guys don't get overloaded. Um, because this is such a interesting and passionate story. And it is really important to note the more complex points of Joan's journey and her personality that are often left out of her story. So in part three, we're going to basically talk about Joan's eventual capture and execution and the events that led up to this point for Joan. And as always, we're going to end it on one of Joan's many, many great quotes. 
Joan was noted as saying this to an English captain during her campaign at Orléans. You have been with your council and I have been with mine. Believe me that the counsel of my Lord will be accomplished and will stand, and this counsel of yours will perish. So you can follow Made of Metal at Made of Metal Podcast on Instagram, and that is Made of Metal, M E T T L E. And we're also in the process of finally finishing up our website, as well as a few other socials for all you cool cats to come check us out. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to bloom where you are planted. Bye.